Lucy, welcome. Yes, good afternoon. I almost said good morning. It's 12 now. Good afternoon, Colin. Um, looking forward to the conversation and thank you very much for, for inviting me. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We had a test or a, a planning session yesterday for what we're going to cover. There's no way we're going to get through it um, in this hour, but I'll try to keep to the scripts a little bit. Um, let's start off. I mean, I'll just do the basic introduction. If anyone doesn't um, know you, you're currently the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa. Um, maybe we'll get some time to go through your history of how you got there later on. But for now, can you just explain for people that don't know what BLSA does, what it does? Yeah, so um, BLSA is the only organization of CEOs in the country and we mainly represent big business. So we exist to ensure that the environment within which business operates is a conducive environment. So you would know that in the current climate and in the current environment, there is a lot of talk around structural reforms, you know, around the implementation of policy reforms to can actually attract investment, you know. So a lot of those uh, talks behind the scenes are talks that are actually led by BLSA, because I guess without the implementation, you know, of such uh, uh, policy reforms, then it becomes difficult for business to do what it needs to do. You know, I'm talking about issues around energy reform. I'm talking about issues around the work visa. I'm talking about issues around the releasing of the spectrum. You know, I'm talking about issues around the amendment of Section 25 and the finalization thereof and to ensure that when we do amend Section 25, then property rights are actually going to be protected. You know, and those are all issues that make business in this country to be skeptical about investing. So unless and until, you know, you have such a conducive environment, and really, by and large, those are the issues that would make business, local and international, to choose where they actually invest their money. So a lot of foreign directors, uh, the foreign direct investment is taking their investment to Kenya, you know, because their interest is in accessing the, the, the African continent, you know, and the 1.5 billion people that exist in the continent. So South Africa is therefore losing, you know, investment precisely because the environment within which we're operating as a country is not conducive. So Colin, we exist to ensure, you know, that we can attain that uh, conducive environment. And we do this through the engagement with government, you know, through a, a, a commissioning research that is actually going to support our positions that we take you know, and, and, and through participating on the many platforms that government actually, you know, is involved in. And finally, you know, by being a member at NetLeg. And NetLeg is where business, government, civil society, and uh, business, uh, 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 so business, labor, civil society, and government meet to actually agree the policy positions of the country. Yeah. Now, you, your membership is, a, is really a who's who of business in, in South Africa. I mean, if people look at your website, uh, blsa.org.za, I mean, you've got ABSA, Ultron, um, some international Citibank, EOH Discovery. I don't think, uh, just looking at it, there are many listed companies that aren't members. And if you go and look at the board, you've got some incredibly you know, high-powered people, the CEO of ABSA, Daniel Manelli, for example, Dominic Sawela, uh, Dr. Leila Faree, um, again, it's a, a who-who of uh, people. Do the government listen to you? Because one would think they do, because you've got such a broad array of CEOs that really are quite incredible. Yeah. You know, if they did, then I promise you South Africa would not be sitting in the position that it's sitting in now, you know, and I'm not saying that from a position of arrogance, but I'm saying it because, you know, you'd be sitting in an environment where confidence exists, you know, because let's agree that confidence drives investment, you know, and investment is the prime driver, you know, of, of growth. So you're sitting in this low growth environment, you know, where our economic growth does not touch 2%, since 2013, precisely because the environment within which we operate as a country or as business in this country is actually not conducive. So government pays a lot of lip service to working with business, you know, to actually crowding in the private sector, to actually ensuring, you know, that there can be a, a strong relationship that is fostered between business and government. But I can tell you now, Colin, um, labor has got more political clout than business, civil society 
has got more political clout than business. Uh, even the taxi drivers have got more political clout than business. Because I'm saying this, if you go back, you know, to when we were locked down as a country, you know, and businesses were actually uh, uh, putting together the forward submissions, you know, around how, you know, the, the, the transitioning between the lockdown levels should be done, it was the taxi drivers who actually got to get government to agree to 100% full capacity, even when, you know, we were at a stage where it was irresponsible for government to agree to that. It was church leaders who actually got government to actually open up churches, you know, even before, you know, we were ready to do that as a country. And as business, you know, uh, issues like the, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, shutting down of alcohol, shutting down of cigarettes, shutting down of certain businesses, you know, the restaurant industry and and and, and the broader hospitality industry, you know, were still lagging behind. So unfortunately, government pretends as if they listen to business, but in essence, they don't. How did we end up in that situation? Everyone had so much hope uh, when Cyril got into power. And obviously, everyone knows about his business background, multi-billionaire, incredibly successful um, with lots of businesses. I mean, you know, one of the standouts there in his portfolio is McDonald's, for example. How have we ended up in this situation where uh, that hope is starting to wane a little bit and so much power is going to these populist groups um, who are driving what's actually happening in the ANC? Things are not moving. The reason why the confidence levels of business in this country are as low as they are you know, uh, it's precisely because things are not moving, implementation is not happening. You know, we had this discussion at the beginning of the year as the PLSA board to look at why are we not making the shifts that we'd like to make? You know, why are we actually not attaining some of the things that we'd like to attain? You know, uh, in spite of the many interventions that business has made, in spite of the many conversations that we've had with government, you know, in spite of the uh, 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 resources that were committed, you know, to assisting this government to be a capable state. And we came to a very simple conclusion, you know, to say that the reason why we are not moving has got very little to do with what business is doing or not doing in this country. You know, it's got everything to do with the fact that when all is said and done, you sitting in a country where the political party that is in leadership is self-mutilating. You know, you're sitting in a country where the ANC don't have a, a, a single idea of what constitutes prosperity for South Africa. You know, you're sitting in a country, you know, where factionalism within the ANC, you know, reigns supreme. You know, you're sitting in an environment where there, is, uh, there isn't coherence, you know, in terms of the ideas that are actually going to take South Africa forward. You know, uh, you're sitting in an environment where um, the president has so many times, you know, said that um, the ANC comes first, or rather his main interest is in uniting the ANC, you know, uh, and I as much as it doesn't say it, but I therefore finish that sentence, Colleen, and, 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 and I say that he does that at the expense of the 59 million South Africans who have actually put him in power. You know, he does that lacking the understanding that he won the election, you know, to be the president of this country in spite of his party, not because of his party. A lot of people who actually voted the ANC, was it two or three years back, actually voted for Cyril Ramaphosa. They didn't vote for the ANC because the ANC already had a history and a legacy, you know, of stealing, you know, of corruption, of not delivering and an end. So I think we had pinned our hopes on this one person. So it is therefore very disappointing, you know, to see ourselves three years after the elections having been downgraded to jump status. I mean, we were jumping up and down about this a lot as business to say that you're going to have to heed the call and the warning from the credit rating agencies when they actually point to us what are some of the things that we actually need to actually focus on in this country to avoid being downgraded to junk status. We're sitting in an environment where our economic growth, you would have seen the numbers uh, two weeks back, you know, we have posted 
a 7% contraction in 2020. Yes, that is due to COVID, but let's agree, Colin, that even before COVID, South Africa was sitting in a very bad position. You know, we're sitting with unemployment already then, you know, of 40% in terms of the expanded definition. You know, where you had more people that are unemployed than those that are employed in all the provinces, except Gauteng and the Western Cape. You are already sitting with youth unemployment of 56%. You are sitting with poverty of 56%. You are sitting with inequality, you know, as measured by the Gini coefficient of 0.7, you know? And so it, it, the, the financial metrics, you know, of the country were already bad. Now they've deteriorated, were already bad, you know, before we entered COVID. So all the indications, you know, were actually pointing south you know, and very little was done, you know, by Cyril Ramaphosa to actually change things around because he is focused on leading by consensus. I would like to think leadership calling demands that if you are actually going to uh, embark on a strategy to turn things around, if that strategy is not working, you actually have to actually, you know, have the confidence to actually uh, uh, walk away from it and say, I'm actually going to go back to the drawing board and see what other interventions I need to put in place to shift my country in a particular direction. So we are sitting in an environment where South Africa is, you know, devoid of leadership. You know, we, we have a leadership crisis in this country, you know, because uh, 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 where I come from, you know, I know that leadership is about courage, it is about ethics, and it is definitely about uh, 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 having a vision. You know, so what vision do we have for South Africa that has led us to where we are? You know, how have we lost our positioning as the attractive investment destination, you know, in the continent? How has Kenya and Rwanda and Ethiopia overtaken us? Why is Mitsubishi today thinking of setting up their headquarters in Kenya, you know, because it is just too difficult to do business in South Africa. We should not be sitting in that position, not if we are the most advanced economy, you know, in the continent, but we have lost that position precisely because the leadership in this country, you know, has actually disappointed the 59 million South Africans. Well, do you think this is, uh, you know, deliberate and cronyism and self-interest? Is it... Um... Is it populism that's driving it so that the beliefs that they've got are, are misaligned with what we're seeing from the business community? What, what do you put this down to? Because this didn't suddenly happen overnight. Politics, Colin, and, 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 and I guess that is the only way that I can explain it, you know, and, and what drives politicians to make the decisions that they do or to act the way they're acting? I wish I knew, you know, but I, 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 I honestly don't, you know, so and it, 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 it's probably... And, and, and I'm thinking from, and, and this is guessing now that I'm doing, I'm thinking that, you know, CR is worried about getting a second term. You know, he saw what happened to Zuma. He saw what happened to Mbegi, you know, where the party actually recalled him. You know, so I don't know if any president in this world, you know, wants to go down because they've actually been recalled, you know, by their party. Because if they recall you, they say we don't have confidence in you that you're actually in a position to lead the country and the party. So probably he's trying to play this balancing act, you know, precisely because he's trying to be everything to everyone, you know, but I guess uh, he forgot that you never get ahead, you know, by trying to be everything to everyone. You know, you actually have to be very focused and you actually have to be very uh, precise, you know, in terms of what your goal is and what it is that you'd actually like to shift, you know, in, in, in an environment that you're needing for you to actually uh, 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 achieve some of the things that you'd like to achieve. So it's, it's actually politics that are actually dragging South Africa down. It's unfortunate, you know, because I would have thought that having achieved our democracy last as a country in the African continent would have learned, you know, from some of the African countries in terms of what not to do. So it becomes fiercely disappointing that we are actually repeating the very same mistakes that other African countries and other African leaders have actually repeated. You know, the reason why the African continent is sitting where it's sitting at the moment, Colin, it's because our leaders, political leaders in the main, in Africa, 
are not what they ought to be. You know, they've really, you know, uh, uh, forgotten, you know, that when they came into power, they promised to actually, uh, in, in South Africa's case, you know, to, 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 to give a better life for all, you know, but definitely, you know, that is, 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 is not happening. So I, 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 I also worry about the fact that you're sitting in an environment where governments lead with only five years of thought. You know, and you have to compete against the China, which has got a 50-year strategy, you know, which is the Belt and Roads Initiative. It doesn't matter who comes into office. They know the Marshall Plan. You know, they understand the marching orders. You know, they know what needs to be done. It's a long-term strategy, you know, which actually looks at what is going to make South Africa competitive when all is said and, uh, when all is said and done. Not this stop, start, stop, start, you know, that we're experiencing in the country. So I think, you know, such short-termism, such myopia, you know, is never actually going to lead South Africa to be prosperous and it's never going to make us turn the corner from an economic perspective. So I think there are some of the dynamics, you know, that are actually tripping us up, you know, as South African politicians and, 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 and as the South African economy. I thought we had a Marshall Plan. Wasn't that put together a few years back with uh, Trevor Manuel? Has anything happened on that? If you talk to the people who have been charged to look at what that plan entails and the deliverables and the very clear targets and goals that are outlined in that plan, they will tell you that very little has actually been attained. So as you know, we are very good in terms of putting plans on paper. You know, we are very good in terms of, you know, uh, putting down solutions that are actually going to take South Africa out of the situation that it is in, but we lack in implementation. And we lack in implementation because over the years, let's agree that there's been a serious exodus of leadership, especially in government. You know, over the years, you have set with narratives, you know, of clever blacks, you know, and you are a clever black if you go into government and talk the way I'm talking, you know, then, you know, you are, you are, you, you are public enemy number one. You know, we, 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 the key determinant of uh, 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 any country succeeding, you know, is really uh, 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 the fact that you should have, you know, a capable state. And unfortunately, we have diminishing state capacity and leadership in this country. So this issue, and it was interesting, I looked at an article, I think about two weeks ago, was it last week, Senator Ramaphosa is calling, calling for the professionalization uh, of the public service. You know, the reason why the spectrum has not been auctioned, uh, Colin, even when it was supposed to have been done uh, in November, as we were promised. We're talking about 5G now, are we? Right, we are now talking about 5G, you know, and, 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 and the reason why the 2000 megawatts of electricity, you know, has still not uh, been finalized, you know, so that, you know, the issue of the energy crisis in this country can actually be dealt with. It has got, when you look at it, you will see that it is precisely because we don't have the right people at Casa. It is simply because we don't have the right people in NASA. You know, so it is this issue of cadre deployment. You know, you can't put a finance person in charge of finances and yet they don't understand the difference between income and cash. And that is what is happening, you know, in the South African context. And you wonder, you know, why we are actually where we are as a country. Well, let's talk about ESCOM as an example, because you sit on the board there. And um, as far as I'm aware, Andre de Reuter, the CEO, is uh, fairly progressive. But I think he's actually on record as saying that the one megawatt limits, which under that you can apply, you can put photovoltaic up, you might better do a small shopping centre. It's relatively easy to get it um, accepted and approved. He was suggesting we should take that up to 50, even up to 250 uh, megawatts, which sounds incredibly sensible because if you want to go and get people to be sustainable, they've got to have power. And there's plenty of cheap power sources now, whether it's wind or solar photovoltaic, which is available for people, but they cannot get because of these limits. So we've got the CEO of ESCOM stating that he supports this, even knowing that the revenue will decline if he gives others access to that type of, of uh, distributed network. But he's being turned down. Why, why is that? Why is he not able to, you know, to drive these through as that CEO? You know, before I talk to why he's not able to do some of the things he needs to do, let me just say the killing of ESCOM is one of those things that the ANC government has done well and 
They've killed ESCOM along with the hopes of millions of South Africans with it. You know, and the reason why Andre can't deliver on some of the things that he needs to deliver, it's precisely because he's got government as a shareholder. You know, so whatever it is that he actually needs to do needs to be signed off by the shareholder. And we unfortunately have a government that is stuck in ideologies. So for some reason, this government seems to think that SOEs, need to be central to the economic recovery of South Africa. They seem to think that ESCOM needs to be central to solving the energy crisis in this country. Doesn't make sense. Because if you speak to anyone in the world, you know, we all know that there are much more cheaper technologies, you know, that are actually, you know, being ushered in uh, 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 to deal with the energy issues, you know, uh, uh, of the world. You know, I don't know why we are still stuck on coal. You know, uh, when we're dealing with the issues of climate changes and everything that comes with it, you know, so we, we Andre doesn't have the latitude to can actually implement some of the things that he needs to implement without the shareholder agreeing that he actually can do that. Talk about the issue of the municipal debt, for instance. Andre can't go and shut down the city of Joburg. You know, th those are political decisions. You know, I remember we actually summoned to parliament as the ESCOM board, and we are we were asked why the issue, why the municipal debt is sitting at the level that it's sitting, and what we are doing to collect it. You know, and I remember retorting and saying, hold on, you can't pose that question to us, and you can't sit there and pretend that you don't know that that is a political decision. Of course, you know, we don't have the latitude to say shut down the city of Egurulene, uh, shut down the city of Job, because as soon as you do that, I promise you, you're going to get a call, you know, to say that, make sure that the lights are on at all costs. And if they say the lights should be on at all costs, it means that you're going to have to go and spend billions of rands as, as come to ban diesel because they are avoiding load shedding. And I remember when I answered that question at the time, Colin, I was actually, you know, I also made the statement that we just need to be honest with South Africans. And I think this was 2018 or 2019. We just need to be honest with South Africans and tell them that load shedding is actually going to be the norm, you know, at least for the next, at that time I said for the next nine months, you know, and, 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 and that made headlines, you know, and I got calls, you know, from government officials, you know, who said, how dare you, you know, because then something like that is taboo to say on public platforms, but I don't know who they think they are protecting, you know, because I would think that our lives would be better if we knew, you know, that every day between 8 and 12, I'm not going to have electricity, because then for those who have to drive to work, you can say, I'm not even going to go uh, bother to drive to the office at 8 and leave at 9 or at 10 or whatever the case is. You know, for those of us who have got important things and engagements that we need to have, you know, you know that you avoid that time. And for those of us who are actually producing, you know, as businesses, you would know that let me actually get in a shift that is going to start at 12, you know, until whatever time, instead of bringing people in at 8 o'clock in the morning and they have to sit, you know, and, 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 and increase the expenditure on telephones and increase the expenditure on internet and, and, and you know, while they are sitting doing nothing and yet you are paying them during that time for four hours because the electricity is actually going to come back at 12. So I think we are stuck in ideologies, you know, as this government um, uh, around making some of the decisions that we need to make. Otherwise, why are we hell-bent on rescuing SAA, you know, it's dead. You know, there is, there's nothing you can do to resuscitate it, you know, and, and you look at the opportunity cost of the money that is actually being spent on SAA versus the many challenges that we are facing as a country. It doesn't make sense, you know, so the, the, there is lack of progressive thinking, you know, around how we actually move South Africa forward, you know, and abandon some of the ideologies that we have, you know, as a government, you know, in the, interests, you know, of actually making South Africa prosperous. This requires a very interesting sort of leadership, though, the leadership that we all want, because to take a different course is a difficult thing for anyone in a leadership position to do. You know, I think it gets quite easy to end up in a situation where you don't necessarily um, think too much about it, but you're perceived as being arrogant and full of hubris and, and blinkered in the sort of direction that you're actually, you know, going on. Do we have leaders that are curious 
who, and I think curiosity is the key because if you're going to change, you've got to be curious. You've got to be willing to ask whether the path you're on is right, whether it can be done better, whether you can actually, I saw, for example, with it yesterday, the day before Angela Merkel in Germany came out with something incredible. She said that she made a mistake for a politician. This is, this is big news. Um, she'd been pushing for Germany to go into lockdown over the Easter weekend and reversed the decision and said it was on her shoulders, a mistake. She was too passionate about trying to go and push this through. Do we have leaders like, you know, Merkel here in South Africa that you come across in business or in government? Please say yes. <laughs> you know, there are, but unfortunately they are in very short supply, you know, and in the event that they are, you know, then they are actually not given the opportunity, you know, and they are not given the right positions to can actually shift things in a particular direction, you know, and I think that is, uh, 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 that is the main issue I think that we have, you know, as a country. And, 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 and Curiosity is actually a very critical trait, uh, Colin, as you actually uh, say, to have, you know, as a leader, because then it means that you accept, you know, from the onset that you're going to have to be willing to adjust the lens through which you look at things. You know, you can't be stuck on certain ideas, even when those ideas have proven to fail over time, you know. Uh, I don't understand, for instance, why government would not bring in a business person, you know, into government, you know, to lead one of the departments or to be a minister or whatever cases, you know, why are we stuck on this issue of cadre deployment? You know, I know it's been done in the ANC for the last hundred years, but it doesn't mean that it's working for the country today. Let's agree that the skill set that are required to move South Africa forward, you know, uh, the thinking that is actually required to move South Africa forward, the thinking that is required to allow South Africa to be globally competitive, you know, is in short supply in government today. You know, the people that receive that training on a day-to-day -day basis, precisely because they are competing on a global scale. Remember, we're an open economy, which means that if I am a net bank, I'm not only competing with Standard Bank and Capitec and FNB and RMB, I'm also competing with JP Morgan. You know, I'm also competing with Goldman Sachs. So it therefore means in terms of how I run my organization, I actually have to bring in the international and global intelligence to can make me competitive. You know, I have to compete with the JP Morgan because JP Morgan has offices in the country that have presence in South Africa. You know, Goldman Sachs have presence in South Africa. So uh, Mike Brown, you know, from NetBank, understand, you know, the thinking beyond, you know, the region and the market that you actually exist in, you know, because he understands that being an open economy means that you're actually competing, you know, uh, uh, with people that you don't even know, with people that you can't even see. Now, governments, don't sit with that competition on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, that's why they see nothing wrong, you know, in thinking that ESCOM has to continue to be a monopoly. That's why they seem to think that ESCOM should keep its position, you know, as the provider of energy in the country, even when we are sitting in this environment where there is an energy crisis. You know, if you speak to the private sector, they will tell you that they are in a position you can actually solve the energy crisis of this country in the next 18 months. 18 months, Colin, the energy crisis of this country can actually be solved. But you see, you, you, you can't have that conversation, you know, with this government because they, they are not that way inclined, you know, in terms of thinking. You know, they are worried about, you know, this false protectionism you know, uh, or false protection that they are actually giving to these SOEs. You know, the reason for those who actually deal with exports and imports, you know, the, the, the challenges that we are facing at the ports is precisely because Transnet is not at the level where they should be, you know, and you're finding businesses who are actually bringing their goods, you know, through other ports that are actually more competitive, which means that Transnet continues to therefore, you know, deteriorate, you know, from a financial perspective. And what is happening now, you're sitting with SOEs, all 743 of them, who are not in a position to give a dividend to their shareholder, which is government. Now, Help me understand 
why you would invest in something that doesn't give you a return on your investment. But this government continues to bail out the 743 SOEs, you know, and this is now sitting as an albatross around our necks, you know, as a country. You know, we're sitting in an environment where you have this shrinking tax base, you know, who is supposed to, or, or, or who's expected to support, you know, the 1.5 a trillion tax revenue, you know, that we actually have to have in this country to be able to deliver on what we need to deliver. But some of the decisions that we are making as well, Colin, you know, I'm yet to see a country where you get a free house, free education, free healthcare, a social grant, you know, a free, it, it, it cannot be, even the most developed economies. You can't get everything for free. I don't know why South Africa thought it was a clever idea, you know, to think that they can provide everything for free. As much as I understand that we've got an obligation to redress some of the past, you know, inequities, you know, that we actually inherited as a new democracy in 1994. And I think the way we are actually going about it, you know, is actually going to make South Africa land in trouble. I worry that we have created a crisis of dependency and we have created a nation of beggars, you know, through some of the interventions that we have decided to actually usher in as a country. The reason why universities at the moment, kids are not studying and they are jumping up and down, you know, and they want free education, it's because this government, or the previous president rather, thought it was clever, you know, to promise free education at the brink of him stepping down as president in 2018. And you wonder what came over him to make such a decision. You know, now we actually have to send these kids to school for free and there is no money. Finance uh, Minister Tisambawani has told us that in the next two to three years, South Africa is actually going to be facing a, 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 a debt crisis. You know, we're going to be, you know, an, 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 an Argentina in the next two to three years. And what's going to happen is that South Africa is actually going to lose its economic sovereignty, you know, and we're going to have the IMF walk in and make some of the decisions for us that we are actually failing to make. So some of the decisions that we are making, therefore, uh, 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 Colin, don't actually, you know, take South Africa forward. And, 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 and when you're saying that, do we have that type of leadership? Do we have that type of thinking? You know, my answer is to say, no, we don't, you know, because the evidence on the ground, the evidence in the decision making doesn't tell me that we have the right quality and caliber of leadership. So how, so where, how do we change that? A question that came through here from uh, Andrew. And what can businesses specifically do? Because we can't sit back and, and watch. Let's assume that's still correct. Sitting there and, and doing nothing isn't going to be very helpful. So, so what can businesses do to try to go and fight you know, just one example, and this is one of the many that we have done. You know, when the NDPP came through, Shamila Patoy, to lead the NPA in this country, I think this was two, three years back, we had a conversation with her as business, and we offered to assist the NPA because we knew that she sits with a very difficult job of ensuring that she restores confidence back in the country. And how she was going to do that was to at least get a litigation or two, at least out of the things that are coming out of the Zondo Commission and to ensure that your ace Mahashule and cronies and everyone who was involved in the state capture project can actually be sent to jail. We offered to assist with the processes with the systems, with the training, you know, of the forensic investigators that are tasked with, you know, investigating some of these cases and putting together solid cases that we can actually take some of these people to jail. And unfortunately, she found herself with her hands tied behind her back because she came into an environment that was very constraining. She came into an environment that if you dare to bring white monopoly capital into the public sector, you know, then you are being captured, you know, by the private sector. And, 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 and we couldn't therefore come in, you know, as business to assist in a manner that only business in this country can. Because let's agree that when you're talking about the expertise, the skills, 
the know-how. It only and the intelligence. It only resides in business. And this is not to say that you know government and whatever, but it's, it's precisely because this is what we do day in day out as business. You know, we have an obligation to actually continuously seek methods of improving some of the things that we do, but we couldn't actually, you know, uh, 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 be brought in, you know, because of, of, of the narrative that was going to be created that, you know, white monopoly capital has captured the NPA. We're sitting in an environment now, and we're actually going to be launching this report tomorrow as the as, as, as BLSA of how infrastructure can be done in this country and how you can bring business in meaningfully so that you can turn the economic trajectory of the country around. Because let's agree that infrastructure is central to the economic recovery of this country. So, and, and, and Colin, there's only four mechanisms that can actually be done to actually uh, invest in infrastructure. It can either be on budget, which means that government budget, but government is going to have to allocate funds, you know, to spend on infrastructure projects. It can be led by SOEs. It can be done by the private sector, or it can be done through the PPPs. Now, the private sector investment in this country is only 2%. 2% against the 30% target that is outlined in the National Development Plan, you know? And I guess you can, you, 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 come to your own conclusion as to why that is. But by and large, it's because the infrastructure terrain in this country is very highly politicized. It's got a lot of vested interests, you know, and infrastructure is where government finds an opportunity to eat. Remember, that is how the state capital project started in this country. It started when we were responding to the global economic crisis in 2008. And to actually better position ourselves as a country, we said that let's spend in infrastructure, you know, so that we can actually revive our economy. And the infrastructure projects that were led by the SOEs, that is when the Midupi and the Usile and Ingula were actually started. That is when the locomotives, you know, were started by transit. That was all in response of ushering an infrastructure project that was actually going to back our economic recovery. But look at what happened. You know, the state culture project festered, you know, in that environment. You know, people found an opportunity to follow out these SOEs. And we're sitting in a country now that is at the brink of collapse, you know, because government used the infrastructure project as an opportunity, you know, to steal and eat and and, and unashamedly, you know, forgetting that they've got an obligation towards the 59 million South Africans. Now, second round is coming on of the infrastructure project, and they still want to be at the center, you know, of the, it doesn't make them, and it's worse now because the SOEs don't have the balance sheet, you know, government doesn't have the balance sheet. So why are they not allowing the private sector to actually, you know, uh, invest in this country so that you know, we can actually achieve the economic recovery that we actually want to achieve, you know. So those are some of the things, you know, that it's not that the private sector is not interested. We cannot not be interested when there's so much of our resources and investment that is invested in this country. We are interested, but we're going to have to be given an opportunity to meaningfully cut in, you know, and make some of the changes. And, and um, I did tell you yesterday I might interrupt every now and then. That's fine. Please do. Let's go through some examples where if businesses were to collaborate more, my impression is that big business at the moment, they have their uh, CSI programs, corporate social responsibility initiatives, very silo, very small for some of them being fair um, or unfair, depending on your perspective. Some of them are potentially marketing or they just feel they do it and it's a bit on the side. There's very few that do this at front and center of their organization's purpose. But if they were to collaborate, imagine if all of the you know, top 100 firms came together and decided to co-invest in creating a new education system, for example. Or the telcos all came together and said, we don't need four highway for data traffic down between Cape Town and Johannesburg. One is enough as an infrastructure project and we should co-fund and, and compete. I mean, there seems lots of opportunities where business could just collaborate more because if they don't in a decade or more, they're going to be losing out as well. Maybe they're already losing out because the opportunities will go down as the country fails. So when it comes to working with government, we are not given an opportunity to meaningfully participate. But when it comes to business doing the right thing in this country, when it comes to business advancing this, so, this notion of social economic transformation, 
unfortunately, even I, with my big mouth, cannot defend business. You know, we are really found wanting in this space. And not because I say so, but I think you just have to look at the Commission of Employment Equity Report that is released by the Department of Labor that comes out year after year, which shows, you know, what business or how the private sector fares when it comes to transformation. You know, business is being made to conform to transformation and they have to be dragged picking and screaming because for some reason, I don't know why, we haven't realized that there is no way, you know, that you can actually go to war with only 10% of your citizens or with only 10% of your population. For some reason, we haven't realized as business that democracy that we achieved in 1994 is a political system. It is not justice, neither is it equality. So we, the, the reason why our transition as a country is called as incomplete is precisely because there is a lot that needs to be done to level the playing field. And with all our resources as business, there is more that we can be doing to actually usher in this notion of socioeconomic transformation. Whether we like it or not, Colin, we're gonna have to do it because if we don't, we're sitting in an environment where there is domestic inequality and domestic inequality breeds social instability. And there is no way that you can be able to prosper in an environment where there is social instability. You know, business can only prosper in a prosperous society. You can't be, you know, prosperous surrounded by a sea of poverty. When you're looking at an environment where there is 41% unemployment in terms of the expanded definition, where more people are unemployed than those that are employed in all the provinces except Gauteng and the Western Cape, it therefore means that you, you, you are at a disadvantage as business because it means there aren't enough people with disposable income. There aren't enough people to walk into your business to buy your goods and services. So if you were to invest in social economic transformation, it therefore means that there will be a lot more people that can actually be able to afford your goods and services. And if they can afford your goods and services, then it means that you can you know, uh, uh, produce more. If you are producing more, then it means that you're making more profits. You know? And because you're producing more, you need to hire more people. And because you're hiring more people, you know, it, it therefore means you are denting the unemployment that we have in this country. And if there's more unemployment or, or the, the, there is more employment in the country, then you know, the tax base of the country is therefore growing. If the tax base of the country is growing, there is more in government coffers to can actually you know, uh, do service delivery. If they can do service delivery better, maybe they can have a better chance of rescuing ESCOM. If they rescue ESCOM, then you don't That's need to... And so it goes, economics 101, you know? So business is being short-sighted in a spice that is concerned. So let's turn it on to you a bit. How on earth do you get up every morning and stay motivated? Because this is a big challenge that you guys have taken on. You know, you, 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 you can only do this if you are passionate, you know, uh, 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 as, as, as a South African citizen. You can only do this if you are patriotic, you know, as, as, as a person. You can only do this if you understand that you're gonna have to give it your all because if South Africa loses, then you lose. If government loses, then you lose as well. You know, you can only do this if you understand that you don't have any other country. This is our only country. So if we don't fight for it, if we don't stick our neck out, you know, our necks out to actually advocate for some of the critical things that we need to be advocating for. If you don't dare to stand on pedestals, you know, and say some of the things that you know are actually going to be unpopular. You know, as, as, as soon as you say that, as soon as I come off this webinar, I know I'm going to get a call to say, you know what, we had better tone it down or else. You know, you're going to have to have that much drive to say that I refuse that my kids are going to have to be facing the same challenges that I faced growing up. I refuse that my kids are going to have to be forced to be immigrants of Europe because we have failed to make it happen. 
you know, as a country. You know, you're going to have to look at Zimbabwe to say that if we don't stand up, you know, and say some of the things that need to be said and advocate for some of the things that need to be advocated for, you know, then very soon, you know, a lot of us are actually going to have to flee our country and try and go and get a better life elsewhere. Because that is actually, you know, we've, we've got a very uh, close example, not just Zimbabwe, but, you know, the, 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 the rest of Africa. And I worry, Colin, that we are at the brink of being another failed African state. So maybe even if we do get there, maybe let's go down fighting tooth and nail and fighting with everything that we have as South Africans to hold this government accountable, to hold this government to answer, to actually, you know, see if we can't mobilize South African citizens the way we have done, you know? And, 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 and we actually launched this thing last week, Colin, where a few of us, many of us, you know, uh, ANC veterans, business leaders and whatever, have actually stood up to say that Zuma is going to have to be called into order. You know, he can't defy a constitutional order, you know, and somehow, you know, it's okay. And the ANC seems to be, you know, running circles around him and begging him to go and comply or whatever. He shouldn't be begged to comply. He should be dragged, kicking and screaming, you know, to actually go and answer to the Zondo Commission. Or he should actually be thrown in jail. You know, so a few of us have stood up and said that this cannot be, you know, we are not going to stand on the sidelines and actually, and remember, what brought the state capture project down in this country? What made Zuma resign as president is not the ANC. It was the South African public, you know, who were saying enough and no more, who gave this ANC-led government so much pressure that they actually could not ignore it. So if it means that we actually have to remobilize ourselves again to give them pressure, you know, so that our country is not another failed African state, then that is precisely what we need to do. That is what drives me, you know, each and every morning. And, and that is what makes me wake up and give this a call each and every single day, even if we're not making enough progress. What else do you need? Because, I mean, if we just go into, the, uh, into your background, I believe humble beginnings, and you've managed to work yourself at the final age of 26 into this powerful leadership position where you're networked with lots of incredible uh, and less incredible, but certainly um, senior politicians and business leaders. You've got the passion. What else would you say was important for people listening out there about, you know, how to go and, and build yourself up a career successfully like you've done wonderfully well? You know, you can never do, or you actually you can never hold any leadership position. Two things. If you haven't paid the school fees and if you don't have the courage. And what I mean by paying the school fees, you know, I look at these young people that are coming up and I look at this notion of instant gratification. You know, they seem to think that you can skip, you can go to grade one and grade two and skip all the grades and go to grade 12. You know, unfortunately, life doesn't work like that because with each and every step that you take and with each and every position that you hold, you know, and you're having started at the bottom and work your way up, it actually equips you, you know, with the skills, the trades, you know, and, and it, it shapes and molds your character to be able, you know, to withstand the heat when you get to leadership one day, you know, and I think a lot of people who actually, you know, are failing at leadership, you know, it's precisely because they choose to leave, to, 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 to actually leave the leadership bus, you know, because they just can't stand the, 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 the heat in the kitchen. And, 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 and I think the second one I spoke about is about courage. You know, you can't be, it, it, it's a must. You know, because you need to understand that you are not in a popularity contest. You know, you need to understand that you have a responsibility to deliver, you know, what your organization, and you have the responsibility to be what your organization and your country needs you to be at the time. So that's why I'm actually questioning, you know, what's happening within the ANC and Cyril Ramaphosa in particular as our president to say that, but you can't be a one-track horse. You know, if leading by consensus is not working, to what extent are you therefore going back to the drawing board and say that I actually need to alter my stance so that I can deliver what needs to be delivered? So I really think that courage is key precisely in the environment that we find ourselves in. You know, because I have to sit across the table at NetLab with some of these ministers, you know, and, and, and I was the team of 28, which drafted the economic recovery and reconstruction plan in this country that was actually announced by the president on the 15th of October. And we now back at NEDLEG to say that we need to implement, you know, what are some of the uh, uh, um, blockages and the constraints, you know, and how do we actually 
you know, assist. And when government presents their reports in terms of what they're doing, you know, I'm in a position to actually raise my hand and say, no, 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 no. I don't agree, you know, and what you are implementing doesn't make sense. I don't see how that leads us to what we have committed to 59 million South Africans. So it actually requires that, you know, and, and a whole lot of it in, in abundance, actually, calling. Because then uh, without that, you, you, you definitely will not be able to make the shifts that are actually required in this environment. Big business. Um, and this really covers, uh, hopefully, a few of the questions that are coming in as um, sort of variation, I suppose. Big business, if they sit there and just pay out short-term dividends to their shareholders, they're not going to be paying out much in a couple of years' time on this, um, on this plane that you're painting. But they do have power. They've got money. They've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people working and dependent on their ecosystems. Surely there must be more that they can do to actually make a dent against the ideology and populism that's driving the politics at the moment. Surely, you know, I hope... They they definitely do have the power and they've got the balance sheet to can actually shift things in a manner that needs to be shifted. The private, what we need in this country, so if you're looking at where we are as a country, we have a problem of negative sentiment. And because you have negative sentiment, the business confidence is not there. And because business confidence is not there, investment is not trickling in. And because investment is not trickling in, economic growth is disastrous, you know, as we know it. And because economic growth is not there, I said earlier on that our economy has not touched 2% economic growth since 2013, you know, and because we're sitting at these dismal numbers of economic growth, then you're sitting with this issue of the unemployment crisis that we're actually facing. So, that's economics 101. That is how it actually works. So for us to be able to solve the crisis that we are facing in this country, if we agree that we're trying to solve the unemployment crisis, you therefore have to say, what has led to the unemployment crisis? And what has led to the unemployment crisis? It's because things are not happening. It's because there isn't positive sentiment. It's because there isn't confidence. And that's why investment is not flowing. And that's why the economic growth is not happening. So as much as business has got the balance sheet, but unfortunately, only government has the, you know, policy tools to can actually make the environment right in this country. You know, the private sector will, in, the private sector will invest, Colin, but the trigger is going to be policy reform. There is no way that you're going to invest in an environment where you don't know what the amendment of Section 25 is going to look like. Because once they amend it, it could be that the property rights are actually not going to be protected, which therefore means the money that you put in, you know, you may not be guaranteed, you are not guaranteed as you are investing that you'll be able to get it out. You will not invest in an environment where you're sitting with load shedding of 18 hours a day, depending on which municipality you sit in. I had this conversation with Adrian Gore last week Friday, and he was calling me and was saying, can we not speak to the city of Jomek? Can we not offer, you know, that as the insurance industry, we will fix the potholes ourselves? Because what's happening in Jomek and the potholes is actually, you know, laughable. You know, it's crazy. We, we can't run businesses in this environment. And I'm sure we haven't actually followed up this discussion. I'm sure they are sitting in an environment where they are sitting a lot of claims come in, you know, because, and, and, and when they investigate what has led to the claim, it's because maybe an accident happened because you were trying to dodge a pothole, you know, or, you know, you actually hit a pothole and therefore you need, and, and, and they're saying, you let's do it. I'm yet to speak to, 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 to the city of Jobek, but I promise, you know, I'm not going to get far. I can tell you that much. I'm still going to talk to them so that we put it on the record. That, hold on. You can't say business in this country is not coming to the party and it's not willing to assist. We have offered this, this, that, and that, and we have refused to actually offer our assistance. So that is the environment that we're sitting in. Of course, business is in a position to assist, but business can only assist if it is allowed to assist. And unfortunately, that is not the case at the moment. So here's, here's a different spin. Do you think business is doing enough um, of importance, which is being recognised? I mean, business doesn't want to get political, but are they doing enough really to help the people that are voting um, and will be the determinants of who gets into power, what the split is, whether the ANC splits, which politicians are in these you know, powerful positions? I see outsurance um, with their 
people at the traffic lights solving a problem. I see some companies trying to do stuff in education to solve a problem, but, but I don't see the top 100 companies listed or private really making a dent at doing positive societal beneficial work for the 20, 30 million people that really do need it. And so if I'm sitting there in Kailicha, um, I'm not going to be interested what Adrian Gore is trying to do with potholes up here in, in Joburg. I'm going to be thinking about the, uh, the populist solutions that are being offered and dished out to me by the ANC. So, so in all countries, business seems to have a huge disconnect if it wants to make an influence through to government by being so focused on, on profit. Am, am I going off on a tangent or a, or a crazy angle here that they need to do more from a social economic perspective? We definitely need to do more. And the reason why WEF 2019 was focusing on this notion of stakeholder capitalism or conscious capitalism versus the stakeholder capitalism is precisely because businesses all around the world you know, are mainly focused on giving their returns to the shareholders and they are forgetting taking, they forget about taking care of the environments within which they operate. So business in this country in particular has got an obligation, you know, uh, more obligation than a business in Europe, you know, because of our history, you know, there is an obligation, you know, from business that they actually have to do more because to whom that more is given, you know, uh, more is expected. And if business is the only social partner with disproportionate resources, you know, and maybe at this, when we run a disproportionate horse, I'd like to think that we do. If we're the only social partner with disproportionate resources, then we've got an, an obligation to can actually make certain fundamental shifts that only business in this country can make. So business in this country suffers from individualism. You know, we're doing things in our own little pockets. You know, you've got NetBank focusing on education and you've got Discovery focusing on education and momentum. You know, can we imagine if we can take the example that we have been given, you know, uh, by COVID of the Solidarity Fund, if business were to actually, you know, put all their money that is designed or, or earmarked for CSI into a pot and we can actually look at what are some of the critical things that we actually need to look at, you know, in this country that can actually improve you know, the lives of South Africans, I think we can definitely do more, you know, so that is the one, you know, so can you really uh, 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 abandon the individualism mentality and, 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 and start, you, you, you know, grouping together, uh, uh, we can definitely uh, achieve more. But the second one is that when you look at some of the things that have been ushered in by your um, um, transformation policies, like triple B, E and E, E and whatever cases, business continues to take to these on a very superficial level. You know, it's a tick box exercise. There is, for instance, a, a supply development a, a, a aspect, you know, on triple PE where businesses in this country, big business in particular, has got a responsibility, you know, to can actually support SMMEs. Because let's agree, you know, that the unemployment crisis that we have in this country can only be solved by SMMEs. Businesses have reached, big businesses have reached the limit in terms of bringing in a lot of, or hiring people in droves. They just don't have the capacity. Only SMMEs can be in a position to do that, but they can be in a position to do that if they are enabled, if they are supported, if they are given contracts. And if SMMEs were to tell you in this country that they, 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 their biggest problem is not so much access to finance, but it is access to markets. And the market that they are struggling to access is actually the private sector. So business is failing fundamentally. It's failing South Africans fundamentally, you know, in terms of thinking broadly, you know, about this issue of transformation and about making shifts from a social economic transformation agenda. And where I think business can make the biggest mark and the biggest dent, it is really in this issue of, 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 uh, of SMMEs and enabling SMMEs and supporting SMMEs. If they were to commit a certain portion of their spend out of the billions of rents that they spend every year, if they were to say 10% of those billions are actually going to go to SMEs, you will see a, a major difference happening in our economy, uh, Colin. So short answer, no, business is not doing enough. Well, 59, we will close it there. There's lots of questions that I would like to ask. What I will say, Boosie, is thank you very much for joining us. Thank I think you. it's uh, uh, almost appropriate. It's the last one of the series that was very passionate.
sorry. The most passionate discussion I think I've had on this uh, season three. Um, I'll be doing the closer. I'm not sure that's uh, great for everyone. They've heard enough of my voice, but I've got a little uh, list here. So I just want to say to everyone that's dialed in, thank you very much. There may or may not be a season four. So uh, leave your comments about your thoughts on that before you depart. Um, certainly, I thank you for joining this call. If you've joined the other ones, I thank you for joining those two. I hope you got something out of them. As a quick reminder, if you want to see the recordings, the one for myself and Boosie that will be uh, posted in the next day or two, you can go back and you can check out the ones we've done with Rob Paddock and Stafford Macy, Shirley Zinnemann, Percy Colin, Holman, Andrew Wood and David Katz. They've already been loaded up. I want to thank IOCO and the guys for sponsoring and organising this. And I certainly hope that we'll get a chance to do more of these things. Thank you, Colin, and thanks to all the panelists. And with that, I shall close the call. Thanks, everyone.